Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, so glad that you're here. Uh, just excited to be able to open the Word of God. Before we do that, you know, as, as we were worshiping, I, I just really want to remind you, wherever you're at today, God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that's, that's why we worship him. And I, God just put that on my heart. Uh, I didn't say that any of the other services, but I just want to open with that. You may be hurting today. You may be uh, fearful today. You may be doubting yourself. But the one person we never need to doubt is God. And so I just want to encourage you with that today. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in just a moment. If you're using the church Bible, it's page 3. 59, page 357 actually, 357. Also, inside your bulletins are sermon notes. It's a great way to track with the message today. I do want to welcome those joining us online. So glad that you're tuning in live or maybe you're watching the recorded version as well. Uh, last weekend, we had the opportunity to do a fundraiser for our high school ministry and uh, buy a bunch of tacos and a bunch of other stuff, raffles, all that kind of stuff. And because of your generosity, you gave over $30,000 to help out these high school students. Isn't that awesome? So not only will they go down to Mexico, but they'll also have enough money to get back, which is really cool. I think most parents are excited about that. Again, I did say most. Uh, we are in a series titled Impact. That is our word for the year. We want God to have a radical impact in our life and through our lives this year, in our church, through our church. Ephesians 3.20, that's the verse for the year. Now unto him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to his power at work within us. And we are just believing as a church that God's got great things that he wants to do through Shelter Cove in 2017. So we've looked at this series, the impact of community. We've looked at the impact of guilt and grace. We've looked at the impact of the Holy Spirit, the impact of relationships. Today we're looking at the impact of money because the reality is in some shape or form, money will impact our lives. And it's my prayer that that God would use money to impact our lives in a godly way. Now, in this passage, 1 Chronicles 29, David has just given generously for the building of the temple that his son will oversee Solomon. The people have given uh, generously. They are celebrating. They have glad and sincere hearts. And David offers up this prayer, talking about God's power and God's provision. So would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? 
and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly, for all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Heavenly Father, God, right now, would you just soften our hearts? God, would you take over my mouth, my mind, and my heart, and declare the message you have in store for us today? God, we, we love you. We worship you. Help us to be more like Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we're having the privilege to talk about money. And, and for a lot of people, you, you go to church and you open the bulletin and you're like, oh, the impact of money. Here we go again. Pastor's talking about money. There's lots of different responses like, you know, cross the arms, lean back, here we go. And uh, for, for some people, it's just uncomfortable. It's, it's awkward. And me personally, if you, if you may have already realized this, I, I kind of like awkward situations. And sometimes I like to make awkward situations even more uncomfortable and awkward. I just, I just rest in that. I, I like that. So if I'm going to reach out to somebody and give them a handshake and they give me a fist bump and then I go give them a fist bump and they give me a handshake, I just kind of do all, all that kind of stuff and walk away. And I'm just totally fine with it, right? Or if you're going up to somebody and you both go right and then you both go left, I just stop in front and I just start doing the river dance just right in front of them. I, I'm just okay and I embrace the uh, uncomfortableness and the awkwardness. It's kind of like moms and dads when, when you, as your kids are getting older and they're going to be in the sixth grade, and it's time to, to have the talk about the birds and the bees. Super uncomfortable, um, but you do it. In fact, this, this summer, I'm going to have the privilege to sit down with Drew and have the sex talk, and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward, mostly for him, and uh, I'll get done. I'll be like, son, do you have any questions? He'll be like, no, dad. Son, uh, do you need to go to counseling? He'll be like, yes, Dad. Right? That's just gonna, the way it's going to happen. But I'm going to sit down with Andrew, and I'm going I'm to have this conversation, and it's going to be motivated by love. Um, I'm going to do my best not to manipulate him in any way, and I hope that he hears my, my love and care for him, even though it's a, a difficult conversation, a difficult subject, simply because I love him. And, and that's why we're talking about this today. We're talking about money because I, I love you. And as you listen to these words, even though this is a, a difficult conversation, it can be an uncomfortable conversation, I really enjoy talking about the difficult points of life, the difficult topics in Scripture. And I do that because I, I, I love you. And I've been praying this, this week that I would teach in a way that honors God in a way that communicates my love for you, in a way where there is not a sense or hint of manipulation. But this is all about what God wants to do in your life and through your life. And, and if I didn't talk about money uh, somewhat frequently, I wouldn't be honoring the word of God. There's 500 verses in the Bible about faith, 500 about prayer, over 2,000 about money and possessions. Jesus gave 38 different parables, 16 of them were about money and possessions. Now, why did we talk about money so much? Jesus talked about money because he knew that would be a huge struggle in our lives. So if I talked about money as much as Jesus did, every three weeks I would be giving a sermon about money. All right, don't worry, I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, 
But, but I think about how much money impacts our relationships. Think about marriages. Most marriages are destroyed. A lot of them are because of the issue of money. I think about business partners. Why do businesses split? Why is there division? Because business partners don't, don't agree on how money is spent and utilized. Why do children never talk to each other again? Well, often at times there's an inheritance and there's a disagreement in money is the issue that causes just this riff in relationships. I think about the decisions that you make over the course of a day, a week. So many of them have to do with money. Money will impact your life. The question is how. And my prayer is that as we look at the scriptures, we're going to realize that money can impact our lives in a way where, where we're honoring God in every area of our life, including this this area of money and finances. So go ahead and just rub your shoulders back just a little bit. Come on, loosen up. We're getting a little bit tense in here. Here we go. Here we go. You know, a lot of pastors, okay, now forward a little bit. A lot of, a lot of pastors won't talk about money. Good. Because they're fair, afraid of offending people, all right? I probably will offend some of you today, all right? I, I just will. That's not my heart. I will. So if, if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it. Because if you get up and leave, people are going to think I offended you, all right? Or at least cough <laughs> and act like, you know, something like that. But, but this is a message that's near and dear to my heart. And, and I, just, I just pray that God would give you the grace and the strength to receive it well. We're going to ask three questions. These are simple questions. These are not easy questions because we need to have a faith and a walk with God that is simple but not easy, all right? Question number one is this. What perspective does God give us about money? What perspective does God give us about money? First of all, God is the sole provider of everything. David just mentioned that in these several verses. Everything that we have comes from God. In other words, everything that you have you did not earn. You did not deserve. Now, that's a humbling thing to, to think about. Your, your job, your ability to do your job, your ability to comprehend, your ability to lead people, deal with conflict, see in the future, talk, articulate, strategize, all of that came from God. Your, your health, your ability to, to touch and smell and see and hear, the only reason why you're capable of doing all those things are, are because of God. The house that you live in, the car that you drive, the bike that you ride, the clothes that you have, the food that you have, the only reason why you have that is because God is the sole provider of everything. And if I could illustrate that in a simple and clear way, this is how I would do it. I've got $10 here. Here you go. Hold on to that. Don't put it away. The only reason why she has that is because I gave it to her. All right? Yes, I didn't take a header. <laughs> God is the sole provider of everything. Point two in your notes underneath this question. God is the sole owner of everything. Not only did God give you everything you have, he is the owner of everything that you have. Everything. David said in verse 14, we're giving back to you what, what you gave to us, what ultimately belongs to you. That first house that you have, it belongs to God. 
That second house that you have, it belongs to God. I'm nothing against having second houses. In fact, if you have a second house, invite me and I'll come stay there sometime. Everything that, that we have, it belongs to God. And there's this biblical principle called, called stewardship. We, we see in the Bible that we are managers, not owners. We're stewards. In other words, your, your family, your, your house, your finances, your gifts, your abilities, we are called to manage those and steward those in a way that ultimately honors God. I want to say that one more time. In a way that ultimately honors God. Think about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. What did, what did Joseph do? He was a steward for Potiphar. He was a manager. He oversaw the entire uh, household, and he ultimately stewarded those in a way that honored Potiphar. Everything that God's given us belongs to him, is owned by him, and we are called to steward or manage those things in a way that ultimately honor God. Psalm 24 verse 1 puts it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This, this is foundational. What does is, what is God's word tell us? First of all, that God has provided everything, and ultimately, that God owns everything. And if we don't embrace that, if we don't say, you know what, that's so true, like I'm so undeserving that God's given me everything, my wife, my kids, this church family, the only reason why I haven't isn't because I've earned it. It's because of God's grace and his mercy in my life. It doesn't belong to me. It ultimately belongs to God. When we get that, there's a ripple effect in our lives. He is the provider, and he is the owner of everything. Question number two in your notes. Why is giving to God foundational for my life? Why is giving to God foundational for my life? In other words, why is it so important that as followers of Christ we give to God? Four reasons. Number one, giving puts God first in the area of money. Giving puts God first in the area of money. The Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. God says, I want to be number one in every area of your life. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. In other words, when we get the money that God has given to us, that he's provided, that belongs to him, a way of putting him first is to give back to him first. And a simple, practical, tangible way to do that is through a tithe. It's 10%. That's literally what it is. And that's throughout the scriptures. We, we see men and women giving to God 10% to make sure that God is the number one priority in our life. And this is what it looks like. And when we understand that God is the provider, that God is the owner, it's really pretty easy to do that. Let me illustrate. Can I have one dollar back, please? Just, just one. You can keep the nine. Ten percent. Yes! I didn't take a header again. That's what it looks like. See, she understood that I provided the money for her, that I gave it to her, but I kind of owned it. It was still mine. But I just said, I, I just want $1 back. Just 10% away for all of us. A tangible, practical way of saying, God, you're going to be number one in every area of my life, especially that difficult area. And I would argue probably the most difficult area of our life, which, which is money. Giving to God 
first in the area of money. Point number two is, is simply this. Giving demonstrates that I am consistently trusting God. That I'm consistently trusting God. It's saying, God, I want my faith not to be in my finances, but to be in you. Now, I'm not saying that it's not wise to have a savings account, to have an emergency fund, to plan for the future, to have a retirement. But for some of us, our faith, our security is in how much money we have in the bank account, not God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Those are polar opposites. Trusting in the Lord and leaning not on your own understanding. When we say, God, I want to give to you the first and the best, the first and the best, what we're saying is, God, my faith, my trust, my confidence is going to be in you as my provider. And there's always ways where this is tested. Why? Because there's times in our life when life just happens and God's like, are you still going to trust me? It seems like whenever there's unexpected uh, expenditures in our household, it all happens in the same month. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? The car breaks down. And then the brakes go out. And then the kid needs to be rushed to the emergency room. Just on Friday, Kelly called me. I was studying and she said, uh, hey, Jer, um, our front fence just blew over. Right? It just happens. There's always this unexpected thing. And I've realized not to say it can't get any worse. You know why? It can. And it does. It just does. But what does giving God do? Giving demonstrates that I am consistently trusting in God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, don't worry about what you shall eat. Don't worry about your clothes. Look at how I take care of the birds of the air, O oh, you of little faith. So when we give to God our first and our best, we're saying, God, my confidence is in you and not in my pocketbook, my money. Third reason, giving reveals my worship and love for God. My worship and love for God. If you want to know what you worship, look at how you spend your time, look at your calendar, and look at how you spend your money. It reveals our worship and love for God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that we cannot have two masters. You can't love both God and money. That's why Jesus talked about money so much, because he knows that we would be prone to worship and to love money. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with the totality of your life. And the struggle for so many of us is, God, I'm going to love you with every area of my life except finances. What does giving to God our first and our best do? It says, God, I'm demonstrating to you that I love you and I worship you. See, our giving is a great spiritual barometer of our love and our devotion to God. Fourthly, why do, why do we give to God? Because giving breaks my grip on materialism. Breaks my grip on materialism. For so many of us, we think, if I just had a better job that paid more money, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just marry somebody that won the lottery, right? My, my problems would be over. 
This is what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me be perfectly clear. Having a lot of money is not a sin. For some of you, God has blessed you. You've got hundreds of thousands of dollars. You probably even have millions of dollars. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. What is the problem? What does Paul say? He says the love of money. The love of money is the problem. I've got a friend who has a dad that works out of state. And his dad's boss, who's a multimillionaire, has homes, has yachts, uh, has millions and millions of dollars said, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have pursued all this money. He said, my entire life has been filled with stress, anxiety, frustration from spending so much time protecting all of the money I have. If I could do it all over again, I wouldn't want all the money. And you've got a gal in Britain. Her name is Jane Park. Here's her picture right up there. 17 years old, won the lottery. At 17 years old, she won over a million dollars, one million British pounds. The first thing that she did was go out and buy a Louis Vuitton purse. And then after that, without exaggeration, she bought 50 other purses. And she realized the more that she spent, the emptier she was. She said, I, I thought that my life would be 10 times better but now it's 10 times worse. She said, you know, she's lonely. She says when she dates, she doesn't know if the guy that she's dating is just ultimately after her money. Uh, for, that was something I never had to worry about when I was dating Kelly. <laughs> Not like nice car or whatever. It was like nice 10-speed, right? It was just, it was different. Never had to worry about that. But for some of us, we just buy into this liar, this trap. If I just had, had more money, my life would be better. No, it wouldn't. Money's not the issue. It's our heart. What does God's word say about money is the first question. And then why is giving to God so foundational for the Christian? And then thirdly, how do I give biblically and authentically? How do I give biblically? inauthentically. And we see in the Old Testament, we see, we see tithing consistently in the Old Testament. We see it in Leviticus chapter 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, 2 Chronicles 31. We, we see people giving a tenth of what they have to God, a, a way of worship, a way of love, a way of devotion. We see Jacob doing it in Genesis chapter 22 before the law was even established. He says, God, everything that you give me, I'm going to give a tenth back to you. We see Jesus affirming the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. And yet, yet at times I, I talk to people and they're like, you know what? We don't see tithing in the New Testament. And often they'll say that when they say the New Testament church, often they'll say that because it's not because they want to give more, but because they want to give less. And I, I want to walk you through what, what I see in the New Testament as, as just New Testament giving, New Testament generosity. I believe that a tithe is a tangible, practical uh, way to, to begin our giving. But it's not the end goal. The end goal is generosity. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he's speaking to the Corinthian believers. He uses the, the churches in Macedonia. 
These are the churches in northern Greece, uh, Church of Philippi, Church of Thessalonica. He's, he's using them as a model of, of their giving because of their motivation because of grace. This is what he says. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up with rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I want to break that passage down just for a moment. And what can we see and learn from these Macedonian believers? Number one, how do we give biblically and authentically? Notice that they give with the right motivation. We need to give with the right motivation. What was the motivation for their giving? It's because of the grace of God. They, they realized that they were stuck in their sin. They realized there was nothing that they could do to save themselves from their sin. There's nothing that they could do to be right with God. It was only through the shed blood of Jesus. They realized that God is a giving God. Jesus is a giving God. The sacrifice of, of Christ and in response to the grace of God, what they did not deserve, that was their motivation for giving. So our motivation for giving as believers is not guilt. We, we, we don't give out of guilt, I, I should, or, or legalism. We, we don't give that way. We don't give out of pride. We don't give in ways where we want other people to know how much we give so we look good ourselves. We don't give because of some gift that we'll get in return. Televangelists on the radio, hey, you, you give this gift and we'll give you this little rag that's been anointed by so-and-so or water from the Jordan River or Dead Sea Salt. You know, it's like, I'll just go from Bath and Body Works and go grab some there, right? Um, but, but we don't give because we're going to get something in return. We don't give out of power. You know, there's been times, I'll, I'll be super blunt with you. There's been times where I've gotten random emails. It's anonymous and people have said, hey, if you don't change this, at the church, I'm going to leave. Oh, and by the way, I'm a large giver. Try to leverage power. And I don't respond to those. That's, that's, that's a vertical issue. It's not this issue. But there are people that will use their giving and try to play the power play. Why do we give? Why did the Macedonian believers give? They gave out of grace. They gave because they said, you know what, I, I want to grow in the love of Christ. I want my giving to reflect my worship of God. I want to increase my faith. God, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to have the great, be the greatest priority in my life. I want to be generous. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a giving person. Somebody once said that if they could describe God in two words, it would be God gives. God gives. I mean, think about everything that God does. He gives us grace, forgiveness, second chances. I could go on for 30 minutes. Why? Because God is a giving God. So how do we give? We give with the right motivation. Second of all, we give joyfully. We give joyfully. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Overflowing joy. In the midst of poverty, they just, they just overflowed with joy. They were so thankful for the privilege of giving. Now, for most of us, I just want to call this out, our giving doesn't begin with joy. It starts with obedience. Our obedience will often lead to joy. Fifteen years ago, there was something I would not touch 
with a 15-foot pole. It was raw fish. It was sushi. I, I wouldn't do it. It's gross. It's disgusting. The texture. Who could eat that? There is no way. I had a friend of mine that said, come to Makuni in Sacramento with me. You will experience something that will give you delight for the rest of your life. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't know. So I went there and he said, come on, I'm, I'm buying. Let's, let's do this. And so I took a bite. Wow, that stuff was good. <laughs> took another bite. Now today, if sushi wasn't so expensive, I would be eating sushi five days a week. Why? Because I experienced it for myself. I experienced the goodness. I experienced the joy. And people are probably looking at me sitting in the corner. At times I'll, I'll study and eat a sushi roll and I'm just, just smiling on my face. They're like, that guy's a creeper. I got joy from, from eating sushi, right? These believers had joy. Maybe it didn't start that way, and that's often the way it doesn't start for us. But as we give, we realize that it is such a joy to give. We, we can either give cheerfully or we will give fearfully. Thirdly, we give generously. We give generously. Welled up with rich generosity. This is like big-heartedness. This is open-handedness. And I, I found that as I've given to God with open hands, not only am I able to, to give generously and give more, I'm able to receive the blessing that God has in store for me when I give. The, the blessing that God gives of, of just joy, of peace, of provision. There's a, a group of people that they gave generously. And we don't give generously just because we have a lot of money. In fact, statistically speaking, those that make less money give a higher percentage than those get give more. And it always just starts somewhere. It's got, I'm, I'm going to start where I'm at. I'm going to start with what you've given me because a lot of times people will say, you know what, I'm just going to wait until I get to this place in my life. And month after month, year after year, we never eventually get there. And we get to a, the end of our life and we're like, God, I've never honored you. I've never trusted you. I've never showed my love for you in this area of finances. It's a group of people that gave generously. Fourthly, we give sacrificially. We give sacrificially. It says, for I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. And they were filled with joy in able, being able to do that. Now, now, I'm a firm believer that we give proportionately. The more God has given us, the more we are to give. But there are times in life where God will call us to give sacrificially, where he puts something on our hearts. We're, we're, we're in the future, if we do a building campaign, we'll, we'll, we'll give sacrificially. There's many times where you see a homeless person and all you have is 20 bucks in your wallet and that's, you're going to take them out to a real nice dinner. I, I don't know what it is. But there are moments and seasons in our life where God calls us to give sacrificially. And personally speaking, for me, I've found that for me to give sacrificially, I have to at times say no to what Jeremy wants so I can say yes to what God wants. And it's those little things. It's saying no to coffee, no to eating out, no to staying in a nicer hotel and staying in a cheaper hotel so I can give more generously and more sacrificially. But it's a pattern of life where at times we're saying, God, I just want to say no to myself so I can say yes to you. Some of you are going to get your income tax return back. And for, for you to give sacrificially would say, I'm going to give all of that back to God. I'm going to give half of that back to God. Or instead of giving 10% back to God, you're going to give 20%. I don't know what it is, but there are moments and seasons of life 
where God calls us to give sacrificially. And then notice, give earnestly, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. They desired to give. Said, no, I, I, I just want to give. Yeah, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot, but we want to be a blessing. We want to be used by God. Our money is not our own. God's provided everything. They gave earnestly. It's kind of like when you go out to, to dinner at a restaurant, and you go out with those people, and they're like, hey, the meal's on us. You get whatever you want. And you're just like, man, I'm not going to fight over this because they're, they're just, they want to give. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been out with people like that. Yeah, tell me who they are after the service so I can go out to dinner with them. <laughs> I remember one time I went out with some friends. They're like, hey, meal's on us. And I said, I want a lobster tail and a $100 gift card. Right? That just didn't go over too well. I was just messing with them to see how they would respond. But they were, these were people that earnestly wanted to give. And notice their motivation. Notice the real issue. Go to verse 5 on the next slide. It says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. Why were they able to give with the right motivation? Why were they able to give joyfully, generously, sacrificially, earnestly? Because they first of all gave themselves to the Lord. Now we're not going to read the rest of that passage. You're going to look at that in life groups this coming week. You're going to break that down. And the last point in your notes is this. How else do we give? We give systematically. Give systematically. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Paul says, On the first day of the week, of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping up with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. What is, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying that, that when there's a collection to be made, don't just think about what you need to put in then. It's something that you've prayed for ahead of time. It's something that God's put on your heart. It's something you've sought God after so that you can be systematic and strategic in your giving. What does God's word tell us about finances? Second, second question, why, why is it so important to give, give to God? Why is it foundational for Christians to give? And then thirdly, how do I give in a way that's biblical and authentic. And if we know the answers to these questions and embrace them, God will change our life. So how do we respond? How do we respond to a message like this? Uh, there, there, there's two ways, and I want you to ask the question, is God calling me? What, what's God calling you to do? The first opportunity to respond is, is God calling me to take the 90-day tithe challenge? The 90-day tithe challenge you know, tithing is the one area we see in Scripture, the only one, where God says, test me. Test me in giving me your first and your best, 10%, and watch me bless you. It's, it's the only area of, of, of Scripture. We see it in Malachi chapter 3. In fact, this is what it says. It says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, test me. Watch, watch me bless you. Watch me blow your mind and what I can do in your life and through your life. Put me to the test by giving your first and the best. Now, I've done this every year since I've become the lead pastor, and I have people every year come up to me, and it's a huge step of faith, but they say, thank you. Thank you for challenging me in this one area. For so many of us, money is that area that we hold on to. But they say, I have experienced God in a deeper and greater way than I ever before because I finally am putting him first and trusting him in my finances. Now, a lot of people come to church and they, there's this perception that oh, the pastor just wants my money. It's not about what I want from you. It's about what I want for you. And if you make this commitment for 90 days to put God first 10%, and you're not more blessed in 90 days, not just financially, but God blesses us relationally with peace, with joy, all that. You're not more blessed. You come see me, and I will give you all of your money back. I believe this passage that much. I believe the word of God that much that I will stand behind that. You have a money-back guarantee you have nothing to lose. It's a 90-day tithe challenge. There's others of you here that you're giving faithfully. You've been tithing for years, and it's become maybe a little bit robotic. Uh, maybe you're just doing it out of obligation. Uh, tithing is not the end goal. It's, it's generosity. And so there um, is another opportunity. Second point in your notes is to take, the, take a step toward greater generosity. Take a step towards greater generosity. And there's a there's a little insert in your bulletins. I want to encourage you to grab that out right now. It says on the left top, it says, take the test, three-month challenge. On the right, it says, to commit to giving more generously. Um, every, every year in January, for the last several years, Kelly and I have looked at our, our finances and we look at our giving with a desire to increase our giving. And we did that again this, this last month uh, in January. We've we give more than a tithe. We, 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 we want to give generously to the church. We believe in the church. Um, we want to be generous people. We're going to increase our giving again. So it's only been a month. We want to increase it again because I'm not going to do, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And for some of you, you can increase your giving $50, $100, $500. Um, maybe for some of you to be more generous you just, you're like, I can increase it $5, and that's all that you can do. For others of us, God has blessed you so much to give $1,000 more a month would not be an issue at all. Let me just paint a picture for a moment. The average person going to church gives anywhere from 2 to 3%. 2.5 to 3.5%. 2.5 to 3.5%. If all of us committed to tithing that call Shelter Cove our home, our debt of $7 million, which was once like $16 million, we're whittling it down. Our debt of $7 million would be paid off in one year if everybody just tithed. If we had 1,000 a, a people say, you know what, I want to give $100 more a month. I want to give more gener generously. And some, maybe it's $5. Some, it's, it's a lot more than that. But on average, 1,000 a, a people give $100 more a month. That would be $100,000 more a month. 
I think about the missionaries that we could unleash. I think about a kid's playground. I think about this land to the north. I think about building for the future. I think about all that God could do because we will not stop until everybody in Modesto is saved. We just will not stop. As long as people are dying and going to hell, our mission of reaching and raising authentic followers of Christ, we will keep our foot on the accelerator. But I just think about what we could do. We say, God, I want to put you first in my finances. Now, Titus and Jill took the 90-day tithe challenge a year ago, and I want you to hear their story. Hey, my name's Titus, and this is my wife, Jill. We've been married a little over three years now and been a part of Shelter Cove for a little over two and a half. So last year, Jeremy challenged us to do a 90-day challenge uh, to trust God with our finances, and we decided to take the challenge and um, see what God would do in our lives because of it. The decision felt pretty easy because giving is something we always knew that we had to do, that we had to manage God's money well. But last year particularly, it was going to be a little tougher because we knew that we had to pay for you know, two semesters of school plus some summer classes. And while giving was mandatory in our lives, we knew that we were going to struggle a little bit when it came time to pay for all those school semesters. But we knew that the 90-day challenge was meant for our lives. So looking back on 2016, there was never a point where we felt like we lacked anything that we needed in life. And even with paying for school and some car repairs here and there, we always had everything that we needed. There was one example where we were going to pay for the, my final semester of school, the final spring semester, and the winter classes we had to take. And we were coming up just short of what we needed for the classes. And I remember joking, thinking maybe we should just hold back our tithe and use that for the semester money. We ended up not doing that. We ended up you know, tithing what we needed to tithe. And out of nowhere, we found out that we were gonna get my winter class uh, valued at a little over $1,000 for free. And we were totally taken care of. And it was just one great example of how God really provided for us during the time of tithing in 2016 and through the 90 day challenge and all of that. Through this experience, we've really learned that, um, you know, what God has given us, we're supposed to be good stewards of it, and that ultimately it's His money that He's given to us. And uh, we've learned that He will always provide for us. Now, last year we went into the 90-day challenge unsure of how God would provide and if we were going to be desperate enough to ask for our money back at the end of the 90 days, and we never did. Thankfully, you know, God met us in, in every way that we thought he would, he even exceeded what we thought he would do for us. And we're gonna continue this year giving, we're gonna find new ways to give, and uh, we wanna encourage all of you, you know, if you're struggling, if you're wondering if God's gonna provide, if you're wondering how you're gonna make it giving the 10%, just know that God has a million ways to provide for you, your life and your needs. And if it's not financially, he'll find some way to give you what you never thought he could, whether it's peace, um, whether it's comfort, whether it's joy, he'll give you everything you need and you'll be set. We appreciate Titus and Jill. An example of one of many couples that last year said, God, we want, we want to put you to the test. We want to step out in faith.
and, and watch you do what only you can do. We want to trust you. We want to show our love to you, our devotion to you, and our worship to you. You know, in just a moment, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and we're going to receive the offering. Our word for this year is impact. God, what do you want to do in my life and through my life? And one of the five questions we had on Vision Weekend was asking ourselves the question, God, what do you want me to give? Not what do I feel comfortable giving or what have I done in the past? God, what do you want me to give? And I just want you to ask yourself that question right now in a moment of silence. And you're going to have the opportunity to fill these out, put these in the offering plate uh, with your finances. Our preferred way for you to give is electronically. It saves our staff time uh, you can do a reoccurring gift. Uh, for my wife and I, we have our cable bill. We've got our phone bill. We do that reoccurring because it's important. Uh, a great way of putting God first in our finances is just a reoccurring gift to say, God, I'm going to make sure that you get the first and the best in every area of my life, including my finances. So I want to just encourage you to take, take about 30 seconds right now and ask God, God, what, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to respond? If your spouse is sitting next to you, Feel free to talk to them, and in just a moment, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we worship God through the giving of an offering. But right now, take some time, just you and God. Ushers, I'm going to invite you to come forward as we prepare our hearts to give. Church, let's bow and let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to give. God, we pray that you would keep working on our hearts. God, that we would grow in our trust. That we would grow in our love that you would be the, the greatest priority in every area of our life, including our finances. God, that you would use our church to do abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or think. God, right now, would you bless these gifts, bless the commitments, bless the givers. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.